Welcome to another edition of Cybersecurity Dispatch. This is your host, Andy Anderson. In this episode, How Bad is IoT Security? We talk with Stephen Cobb and Tony Anscombe, researchers at cybersecurity company ESET. Stephen and Tony have been researching attacks and network security for decades. We talked about how to potentially secure networks as we introduce lots of IoT devices. These two Brit expats have all the cheeky humor you would expect from veterans working for years in the security space, but still managed to keep a kernel of hope for the future. Here's Stephen and Tony. My name is Stephen Cobb. I'm a senior security researcher with ESET North America, based in San Diego. I'm Tony Anscombe. I'm a global security evangelist for ESET, based in the US, but do a lot of work around the, around the globe. Awesome. So what's bringing you guys kind of to RSA? We've been coming for, for quite a long time. Personally, I have fond reflections on the 1996 RSA, which was held at the Fairmont, a much nicer location than Moscone, or more convenient and not so terribly stressful. But what we're doing this year with ESET is, is really bringing our, our full game. A lot of people don't know that ESET's been around for 30 years and has been developing cutting-edge security technology all that time. It's not like we made a product 30 years ago and sat on it. So we've been using things like machine learning, and threat intelligence, and, and cloud-based reputation, and things like that for a long time. We've tended to be very, I don't know whether shy is the right word about what we've been doing, but I like to say we focus a lot more on engineering than we do on marketing. Yeah. So for a lot of people, we're the largest security software company they haven't heard of. And we're number four in the world in business customers. Over 110 million protection systems around the world. Uh, we're in just about every continent. We have, we're in, what did we say, Tony? We said 200. Yeah, the, we have customers in 200 countries. But we have to say territories because there aren't actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, there aren't actually 200 countries. We're just everywhere. You know, it's interesting. Here at RSA, there's like 3,000 vendors, right? And that's maybe 60% of the market, you know, just thousands. And, and I talk with a lot of CISOs, and they're just like overwhelmed with all the tools that they have and the solutions that they have. So where are you finding that you're kind of getting in? You know, obviously, you have your existing customers, but as you think about new ones, what's really grabbing them? Are, are they sort of taking down the whole stack, or are they kind of points that they start to grab. So, so inter- interestingly, if you look at the buying decision of a lot of vendors, I mean, management and all those great things, yeah. all the periphery things around an endpoint solution, I think, are there. But when somebody looks at a testing chart, yeah. we have one of the last, well, if not the last, false positive rate in the industry. False positives can be more damaging than actually missing something. And if you look at the people that get 100% in detection tests, they typically have more false positives. So you ramp up the detection by actually lowering the quality of product. One thing that ESET is not is about lowering the quality of our product. Yeah. We yeah. take that very, very seriously. Yeah, and I think you know, historically, security implementation has always been this, this push-pull between best of breed and a unified solution. Uh, what we've done is over the last 10 years really expanded our product portfolio uh, so we have encryption, we have two-factor authentication, and we now have threat intelligence. We have you know, rapid response tools. We have our system inspector is a threat hunting tool that will enable you to go anywhere in your network and find anything that's going on and shut it down. And we're you know we're introducing at the, uh, the event a single pane of glass to control all of that. So it is possible now for a large company, and we have some 
very large customers we can't mention, but to do all of their endpoint from that one pane of glass, as Tony said, we really are very well known for our, our low false positive rate and our high detection rate. And, and so, and our low resources. Uh, yeah, right. So we have our a client, we have, our client is super low. Yeah. yeah. Now you can maybe tell we're not the sales guys. You know, no. we, we're the no, researchers no, no, no. and the evangelists. But yeah, if you if you talk to people, the first time I did an RSA for ESET, I think it's 2012, and I was going to go up to people, sir, sir, can I tell you about um, ESET? And a lot of people, technical people, network administrators, security administrators, they go, oh, I've been using you guys for years. I just wish my company. And so, you know, an endpoint product solution is a, is a replacement sale at this point in time. All of the big companies have endpoint protection in place. But over time, we've been getting better at marketing our differentiators. And uh, yeah, that low resource is one of them, the high detection rate, really low maintenance. I'm curious, you know, we, I was talking with a couple of different CISOs, you know, there's, there's kind of two things that I think they're looking to do is, is kind of, how do they think about as more stuff is happening in the cloud, I mean, this is not a new story, but how are you securing that in, in terms of not you guys, but necessarily, a, you know, a security team thinking about the perimeterless network and, you know, you, the internet is your network. How, how do you guys sort of, how do you play in that world and, and how do you sort of see things evolving today? But it's, it's happening probably slower than we would imagine based on the advertising. I mean, still like 50 plus percent probably of almost every corporate's not in the cloud. My sense is that number's going to continue to grow. Yeah, well, we, our protection extends to the cloud. You can spin up a Microsoft Azure with ESET built in. And we've always been very strong in server protection, which is... You talk about things that haven't really caught on as well as they should. The number of companies that, yeah, they've got endpoint. They've got their laptops and desktops and workstations. But they're running email servers without any malware. They're running file servers and share file servers. So, yeah, I think we've added network detection capabilities along the way. And I think we're well positioned to protect uh, in the cloud, in the virtual machines. You also see a lot of companies deploying a mixed environment, so it's a hybrid. Yeah. The cloud is not typically, I'm outsourcing this application to a single cloud provider. They're interfacing back into the corporate as well, so having that dual protection is really, really important. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was reading a few of the articles that you guys put out, you're, you, you're talking about some of the sort of the real challenging pieces where malware maybe starts to actually stuff that happens in cyberspace starts to go kinetic right and we're starting to see that I mean the Ukraine a little bit with right. our a little bit in Saudi Arabia with Saudi Aramco you guys sort of think about that and, and it's really the intersection of sort of IT and OT and, and again the timelines we yeah we love that space <laughs> it's a fascinating space and I think yeah Tony's been doing a lot of research on the IOT which really blends right into the OT because industrial control systems and you know the sort of stuff that was manipulated by industry in the Ukraine and black energy, those systems you know are using old protocols, and that's a lot. There's a lot of that around. But the newer control systems are using using the same stuff as you know your thermostat in the hotel room, and you've got a white paper on, on all the stuff in the home that you've been messing with. Uh, which actually came from a, a discussion, it was kind of a coffee discussion with a bunch of researchers in October of if could I actually start a secure smart home, but a basic smart home, something my mum might 
to you know start adding a few cameras or start adding some motion sensors or not the big smart home with the you know, electronic blinds and windows etc etc it was just could could I actually do this securely the conclusion was maybe if you use big branded devices and you check they're not vulnerable to start with Actually, a lot of the, the big vendors have started to put security by design in there and they have started to answer a lot of those issues. I think the biggest research, risk to most people actually is privacy. You know, if you start using Alexa to integrate with these things or Google Home, then suddenly you have a single point that has access to the data from all the devices. Now, if you attach Nokia's um, health bathroom scales, suddenly Alexa knows how heavy I am and what my body mass index is. One of, one of the things that, that I'm talking about in the presentation I'm doing at the booth is what's on your CEO's smart TV. Uh, we just we just introduced a product for smart TVs, a protection product. Because it's, you know, if you're signing in there with your Gmail account and I'm looking to target you, not just as a consumer, but you know, as a CEO, I want to do maybe business email compromise. There's a ton of stuff on an Android-powered TV. And one of the points I, I try to make is that you know, we tend to think of the small stuff as being, well, it's a consumer problem. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it's it's all merges together. You know, there's a very good possibility that the CEO's Gmail account's got some of his business stuff in it too. And you know, and and this this what we're seeing certainly in things like supply chain attacks is the bad guys getting very inventive about where they get into their targets. Yeah, we've still got like the mass attack sort of random. Uh, attacks on people with, with ransomware that we've also got a lot of very targeted attacks. Yeah, it's sort of like the spam version of yeah, you got, you, of, of attack, yeah, got, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get anybody who I can, got, yeah. right? Or versus like a very very focused... Pray, yeah. Shotgun well, approach. Yeah. I think what you have to think about is the cyber criminal is also collecting all this data as well. My companies are collecting mass amounts of data about individuals. If a cyber criminal starts to do that, then actually a targeted attack is really, really likely. Yeah, I mean, I think... The line between criminal and corporate is is kind of blurry, and I think actually, I mean, I think the issues are both because partly because the the retention that corporates have on on data, right? Like the the way that I mean, certainly they can hack my Alexa and, and be listening and my, think, my scale and whatnot. You, but you know, if you look at we've done a number of surveys of public concern around digital security, and yeah, compromise of personal identifiable information is right up. Criminal hacking is, is a serious concern, but also accumulation of information, either by companies or governments, bothers people. And I think if I do redo my survey later this year, I'll probably find that company aggregation is moving up you know, in the wake of you know, Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, and so on. It's always been a concern, but I think you know when we get these behind-the-scenes look, which we've had at Facebook, then a broader and broader section of, of the public gets an idea of what's going on and they start to worry about it. You know, just, I mean, we've touched upon a lot. I, I kind of want to circle back to, let's talk about some of those devices, right? Like I have a Vizio TV, right? right. My listeners now, somebody's going to go hack my Vizio TV. It's not that sweet. I'm going to replace it soon. But, you know, like I've had that TV for four or five years, right? Like in the normal IT world, like that stuff's starting to age out. But that TV is decently built. It's not that crappy. It like will probably last 10 years. The same for my thermostat, right? Like some of the stuff is, you know, the, the quality of the build is such, but then, then it, there's such a miss 
mismatch between it and the sort of speed of, of change. And I think what you're highlighting is exactly why I had the conversation with our researchers back in October. It was people may introduce one or two devices into their home, not realizing they're moving towards a smart home. So you might go out and buy a new Sony TV that's an Android TV to replace your not so I've sweet. Got a TV. It's a smart TV too, yeah. just a crappy one. <laughs> so, so not so smart. TV. Yes. And interestingly, if you think about the threats that you might you might see on a TV, so we, we demonstrated at Mobile World Congress last month a piece of malware running on the TV uh, on a on a Sony Android TV that actually was Bitcoin, and it was an app that was that you might download thinking you could Bitcoin, right? but even if you put your TV into standby. It was still, it was mining in background, in background even results. So. Yeah, which is interesting, but I, what I worry about, I mean, the TV may have a decent amount of computing power, right? But a lot of those, like, they have just tiny computing powers, and so securing them is really, because where do you put, I mean, even if you're a light load, where do you put the, well, it, the security it, it stacks, fit, right? It will fit on an Android TV. Yeah, but what about on a Nest thermostat oh, or on yeah, my bathroom yeah. scale, so right? We, and, and I have visibility, yeah. right? All it needs is a way in and out, right? I will tell you that our, our CTO, actually the Chief Operations Officer now, years ago when Raspberry Pi came out, I mean, this, this is what I mean about ESET being a geeky company, right? He made it his personal mission to run our core detection engine on the Raspberry Pi, where we can get pretty small. We're written, you know, in, in machine code. I think that we're looking at that space. I, what we are doing at the moment is looking at running the security on the router, the home router. Yeah. Right? So you know the home, that home router is the focal point. First of all, it's it's where you know the bad guys will get into the home. And uh, quite some time ago, we introduced the capability in our consumer product to map out your network, see what's on the network, which has always been there. You know, deep down in the DOS line, uh, command line, right? But you know, we made an interface for that. <laughs> So that people can see what's on there, and then you know, run some protective code on that. It's evolving, and I think to Tony's point, it's very good. Yeah, we rent a house, so we're not going to replace the thermostat, but we brought the TV in, and we really—I mean, I realized what I was doing when I got it. My wife is also a security, and we just—I think it's very, very interesting what this TV can do. And as you think about all the stuff that's on there. I mean, if you root an Android device uh, with a Trojan code, you can pull everything off. And so if you think of all the stuff, like what, what somebody been watching on Netflix, you know, where have they been going on the web, what YouTube videos have they watched? Um, not to mention their Amazon shopping well, password or their Amazon Prime for video. Yeah. Uh, well, let me, give, let me give you even a more simplest, simplistic view. In, in, in our test, we tested the Soundmaster internet radio. Now, what damage could you know? What what data can I glean from this this device? Well, firstly, all the requests it makes are in clear text, so it goes off and collects radio station X that you want to listen to in clear text. So suddenly, I know I could be in the middle. I know your IP address, and I know that you like jazz music. There's two things I know about you for a targeted attack, and that's the that's the danger. Is, is 
security has to be everywhere. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm curious, in a house environment, right? Like, if you can't put it at the actual, like, on a, on the actual devices, could you put the device next to the, I mean, maybe it's in the router, maybe it's next to the router, right? Because most of that, tra- some of that traffic is hopefully encrypted, right, between the device and the router, but then... It's kind then, of a mixed bag, isn't it, on the encryption? Unfortunately. Yeah, but I think you can certainly look at everything that's coming in and out of the house. Like deep packet inspection. Yeah. When, when, could you decrypt it at the? Is it? Could you decrypt it at the router if it has like the private key? Well, actually, one of the great tools in the, in, in our home product is the connected home scanner. So, so it will actually draw you a map of everything that's connected to your home network, and it will tell you the common vulnerable things that are commonly vulnerable. So if you're using admin and password on a device, we will tell you. And that's wild. I mean, it's great for the home. The number of like corporates that I talked to and they're like, just draw me a... No, you know, it wasn't a corporate. It was somebody at NASA was like, literally, I took over, you know, they were a senior person in the security stack, and they're like, you know, I just want the corporate network. I just want a, a map of the corporate network. And the dude who could do it for her, maybe, died before he could give it oh to her, God. right? She was like, I just, there is no diagram. I mean, I think that that's, you know, the scale of complexity is just getting, is getting well, up and up and up and up. So you raise a really good point, because if you, if you think about how things have moved, you know, five years ago, you and I probably have three or four devices at home. I've actually now got 19, and I don't have a smartphone. Yeah. But it actually just the proliferation yeah. of Phones, games, consoles, cameras, and yeah. things like this, all stuff. The SMB has become the enterprise, and the enterprise has become something else. You know, the number of devices that we're actually seeing is, and it's only going to get worse as sense and com- as Complexity sense. tends to be the enemy of security. And, you know, I think, uh, I think there's a growing realization that, you know, there, there's, there's this tension here between how fast we're doing the digital transformation, how few people we have who really understand it all to secure it. I mean, the cybersecurity skills gap hasn't gone away. It's probably growing, you know. And so I think there's this tension. And, and in his keynote, uh, Rohit Guy was, was you know, talking about this, you know. We're in danger. So, he uses this expression from uh, tech lust to tech lash, backlash, right? And, and yeah, it's a worry I have because, contrary to popular opinion or perception, most security people, certainly in our community, aren't in it because they like telling people not to use stuff. They, they're in it because they really love this technology and it just really annoys us that people abuse it. So, we try and secure it. But it's worrying that we might hit roadblocks to the deployment of very beneficial technology because we have outpaced our ability to secure it, to understand it, or even in the case of big networks, to actually be mapped. Yeah, and I, I mean, a phrase I hear a lot, right, in terms of like the intersection between security and complexity, right, uh, and that, that they're inverse. But I was actually talking to uh, Dr. Ross, you know, the new NIST director, and just they came, just came out with the new sort of cyber resiliency right. standards, right, which is really interesting because it's actually, you know, I think we're reaching the point where you know, complexity actually can be a benefit because now that, you, you know, you can't, the glass is already broken, right? But now we can take those shards and if we can reform them into a new glass in seconds, right? That it doesn't really matter that it was broken or that we have actually six glasses and they're always, we're always pulling a new one, right? Like it's it, like complexity, dynamism, change, right? Like those, 
those yeah, things can you, actually... You to, you, I don't think we get rid of the asymmetries. You know, the, the, the asymmetric aspect of being a bad guy favors the bad guys because, you know, the, the, we, the security has to be right 100% of the time. They only need to be right you know, once. Well, but then, then we talk about... I, I hear that again all the time, and it's like, but, but if you have defense in depth, right, you have multiple levels of failure, right? you got to force them to be right, right once and right again. And if you, and if you have dynamism, you, you got to be right today, however don't, don't quickly you spin around. If you, if you do security properly, you can be very, very well defended. The problem is, and I mean, the NIST work is fantastic. You know, we, we were involved in the, creating the framework, but it's, it, that's a document, right? Get that into the real world. Yeah. That's what we tend to see. You know, if, if, if we have customers who are using our product, call in and say, you know, I'm infected. How could that possibly happen? Well, when we look at it, it's usually because, well, there was this one system they didn't have it running on. You know, and it's one of the reasons that, you know, we, we, we put a lot of money into like, educating the client, free education for, for the, the user base, but also try to make it as foolproof as possible, you know, with a, so that, like, our, our, our product will alert if somebody tries to turn it off and make it so they can't turn it off. But I think we're always looking at how we can do it and we've got a pretty good idea of how it should be done, but getting that done across the whole stack of, of industry is difficult. You know? So you end up with you know, a poorly secured small business that's a, a vendor to a larger business that's a vendor to a larger business. And, and it, you know, that's the target that you from there. So, I think you also need to look at the, the motivation and the resources of the bad person, of the bad guy, the other side. You know, what is it that's motivation? Is, is it that they want to cause disruption to somebody or are they trying to attack this a government organization? Or are they Friends, trying to make money? Yeah. One thing I don't think we think enough about is actually, as we, as, as you said, dynamic, you know, dynamic defense and resilience. Yeah, at the same time, those cyber criminals are also deploying machine learning and AI techniques to actually attack people. So they're becoming more complex and more dynamic. Yeah, when you, when, you, when you take a deep dive into something like industry, the, the complexity of the code and, and, and the tricks they use to get into systems are really quite impressive. I hate to say that. But if you think that asymmetry that I mentioned, if you think of it like this, I'm using AI to defend my systems. And I need to make sure that that works properly. I do quality control. Bad guys don't have to do quality control. The history of malware is littered with things that went really badly wrong because somebody was writing some malware and they go, let's see if that works. They didn't. It crushed a bunch of machines. Let's try it again. Let's see if that works. There's a whole bunch of ransomware out there that you can't even decrypt because it was so badly written. So the bad guys, you know, they don't care about false positives and bad code. They just keep going. Whereas to deploy, as Tony's other point, that balance between false positives and detection, you know, we have to get just right or else, you know, people aren't going to use the product. And that balance to get it right is, I think, harder than getting it wrong. Which isn't to say, I mean, the world's still running, we're still using the technology, but it's, I worry sometimes that a new generation of technology comes along, a new idea comes along, and we go, all right, it's solved. It's still going to be a struggle until, essentially, less bad people try to do fewer bad things. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just curious in the, I think GDP, I'm really interested in GDPR and what's happening, what will happen there, because I think some of the balance may change because what are the criminals going to steal? If they're going to steal from me, right, like they're going to try and steal my social security number or other sort of identifiable stuff from a, corp, a company or even from myself, right? But 
when that stuff is no longer valuable when they take it, I mean, because what are they going to do with it? They're going to take it to a bank and open up an account. But if that bank has is starting to think about smart ways to authenticate and, and they're not going to use the social security number for what it was never supposed to be, which was a unique identifier, right? Like, you know, I think there is that sort of idea of collective action, right? Because like, at least I hope in the world that there are more good guys than bad guys, right? And so how, if you have a society where you're thinking about, okay, and at the scale that you guys are, it's like, how do you start to to put that also into your customers to understand like the idea that they're collaborating together because there are only, you know, the number of cops in New York City versus the number of people who live in New York City, and yet it's an incredibly safe place, right? We've, we've always liked the expression, you know, security is everybody's responsibility. And so uh, last year we put up a whole bunch of free security training, eset.com slash cyber training. We've had 8,000 people complete it. The way we set it up was so that a, a company or any organization can go and sign up their employees for it. So they can actually use it as their sort of first line of security awareness training. So yeah, I think, you know, as a country, as, as communities around the world, we have to pull together. I think GDPR is interesting in that I think it's waking up the American consumer to the kind of protections that are taken for granted over in Europe. And yeah, I don't think you can do this job if you're not fundamentally an optimist, right? Because you would just go, oh no, this is too bad. But you have to kind of temper that optimism with realism. I mean, you know, we'll be having cars soon. In fact, Lincoln just announced the new avi- Lincoln Aviator. Uh, your phone is the key. I mean, come on. You know, that's, they, they, we look at that. On the one hand, you go, that's very cool. On the other hand, phones have been really, really badly hacked. And, you know, I coined this term a couple of years ago, jackware. You go to open your car with your phone, and it says, well, that'll be points like Bitcoin because they've taken that over. Well, actually, I, I mean, do you, I assume we drive. I do, yeah. When was the last time you updated the infotainment system in your car with firmware? I mean, it's like a 2006, like never, right? <laughs> but, 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 but I think, is, is but I don't think of the other devices. But right? I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the security companies, and I'm waiting for the designers to say, you know what, we expect this, right? And if they try and brick it, right, you're going to pull the chip out. That's like, you know, it's somewhere in the glove compartment, right? So it's not hard to get to, and yeah. right, the chip's worth cents, right? Yeah. And so that's like a question of design. Like, I would love to, unfortunately. God did not give gifts in equal measure and like to expect the populace to like get smart on this yeah. right? no I, again that's another balance that's very difficult I really don't like the victim blaming when there's a breach for example right because you know it's hard enough keep, unless it's a really stupid thing that a company did that they really really shouldn't have. but uh, with a consumer you know we tell them to do these things but in the end you know a lot of it is beyond their, their point of control what we need people to do is, is be good at the things they can be good at, which is, you know, not reusing passwords, not clicking on fishy stuff. But we have to do a better job both as security vendors, but also, I think, in, in terms of our governments. And, and, you know, Microsoft's call, you know, in the keynote for this, you know, to be this more coordinated action. Because, you know, if we could lower the temperature of the abusive activity of the technology, that would be a big piss. And to your point earlier, where is it going? If you look at the two big things last year, uh, WannaCry in terms of malware, WannaCry and Malpetchi, that was not criminals looking to make money. That was the sort of nation state, pseudo nation state. And, you know, that's something I think we can do a lot more work on. Yeah. This is great. Really appreciate it. Anything else before we close? I appreciate the uh, the chance to, to talk about this. Yeah, I know. And appreciate you covering it because 
you know, one of the things that's very difficult to do is get out the word to everybody. Yeah. We think we do. But then we, we bump into somebody on a plane who's like, never heard of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I would say one thing. Everything you connect, you should think about security and privacy before you connect it. And I would love, you know, you know, we, we talked to, I think it was before we were recording about marketing and kind of how you get your name out. And I would love you guys to just come up with a naughty list, right? Like, you know, don't buy any of right. this stuff, name right? And shame. Right. Yeah. Like you, if you're yeah. doing it already and I know you'll piss some people off, right? But you know what? In these days, like you would garner incredible amounts of attention and love from this entire community and hell don't put your name on it maybe you know just do it in the background and, and come up with like literally the naughty list because I think people need that right and you know partner with Consumer Reports or somebody Consumer right? Reports is actually running a, a pretty in-depth uh, analysis system They're trying to come up with metrics for security and common pieces of software so I think yeah that's kind of one of the areas there are the independent researchers who will name and shame yeah. you know, we are very big on uh, responsible Closure, yeah, you know, because we don't people like people naming and shaming us with only two days to fix it. So yeah. there, there are some organisations that are starting to certify IoT devices. I mean, specifically in uh, oh, right. so there's um, KidSafe uh, based here in the US that look at children's devices that are IoT connected devices. So for example, they're looking at IoT toys and they're actually putting a seal stamp seal. I think we're at the start of a process. I'd like, I like an IoT to Wi-Fi. If you and I drive down the street, drove down the street ten years ago, we could connect right. to everybody's Wi-Fi because it was unprotected. Yeah. If you go down, if you look at IoT devices today, there's a massive amount of insecure devices out there. Ten years' time, I'd like to think we sit at this table and we can't drive down that street and connect to anybody's. Yeah, and, and I'd love, so I, I hope it's just a transition. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm curious to see your product where I can drop it in my house and start to see what is connected, right? We'll, and, we'll send you on as soon as we've got it. Oh, we'll send you Stephen. <laughs> yeah. I live in New York. Come by, check out my shitty TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just if you, if you get a smarter TV and it's running Android, we'll send you the product. Right. Check it out. Thanks so much.